Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When Earth was attacked by big-headed Martians in that movie, his president tries to appeal to their hearts in a Rodney King-esque speech. Of course, it didn't work out so well because he was killed by those Martians right after he gave that speech. Although he did make one of them cry. But then they killed him, so the Martians win in that case. The Stream Police Podcast is brought to you by OverdueReview.com. Looking for a Netflix recommendation that's worth two hours of your time? Or a forgotten album that's worth picking up on iTunes? OverdueReview.com. Better late. Hey there again, my friend. Thanks for stopping and spending some time with me here on the Stream Police Podcast. I'm Clint Davis, movies and TV editor at OverdueReview.com. In just a little bit, we'll hear from our music editor, Andy Sedlak, and he'll get you on your way with uh, a set of good tunes to add to the best playlist in the world that we've been crafting for well over a year now on this podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, definitely appreciate it. Go back and check out all of our old episodes. They are evergreen especially if you're looking for a review for uh, of like a specific show, specific movie. Uh, you can usually catch those in the titles, at least in the descriptions of the episodes there at iTunes. And uh, I'll, I'll get a little bit presidential later on in the show when I talk about some of the best movie presidents of all time because we need a break from the real election. So let's look back at some of the best and, uh, well, worst, I guess, uh, movie presidents of all time because we've kind of seen uh, – we've seen all types – let me go ahead and light my stogie up here in honor of President Obama, who uh, lifted the ban on Cuban cigars. I don't have a Cuban with me yet. I haven't gotten one. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to smoking one in this closet and talking to you in weeks to come. But let me just smoke my good old-fashioned uh, Dominican cigar here. Uh, let me go ahead and get the show started like I always do here with the greatest television show theme song of all time for this week. And this week's selection is one that every time I hear it, um, I'm kind of like immediately put into a good mood. I know last week with the theme song, I, I tried to creep you out with American Horror Story Freak Show. So now I'm going to try to lift you back up uh, after you've been cowering in the corner from listening to that last one. So that's why this week's pick for the greatest TV show theme song of all time is from 1975's The Jeffersons. It's Moving On Up. Well, we're moving on up, moving on up to the east side. Moving on up to the apartments in the sky. I mean, honestly, what needs to be said about this song that the song doesn't already say for itself? Well, moving on up, moving on up to the east side. 
feel like I could just play the song for you and just move out of the way and not let it go. But for copyright reasons, I won't do that. The song is immediately recognizable. It sounds flawless. It sums up the gist of the show. And it fits the show's mood perfectly. This is everything a TV theme song should be. If there were a guidebook to creating TV theme songs, the Jeffersons theme song Moving On Up would be right there as the first example of how to do it well. The Jeffersons debuted on CBS in 1975 as a spinoff show of All in the Family. And the show did run for 11 seasons compared to only eight seasons for All in the Family. I mean, not only eight seasons is a hell of a run for anything, but just saying this spinoff past the show it spun off of. That's pretty impressive. The theme song, Moving On Up, packs a lot of power into just one minute. And to know why, all you have to do is look at who wrote the damn thing. I mentioned Janet Dubois. She co-wrote the song with a little guy named Jeff Barry. And if you never heard of Jeff Barry, then you probably didn't spend too much time reading liner notes on records because Jeff Barry co-wrote just about every great 1960s pop song that you love, at least every one that had something to do with Phil Spector. He co-wrote Chapel of Love by the Dixie Cups. He co-wrote Be My Baby. He co-wrote And Then He Kissed Me. He even co-wrote Leader of the Pack and Sugar Sugar, all co-written by Jeff Barry. He was a badass. And one of his other contributions to our lives is co-writing Moving On Up. Amazing, right? I bet you didn't know that the guy who, who wrote Be My Baby also wrote the Jefferson's TV theme song. Pretty awesome. But Moving On Up would be nothing. Nothing, I repeat, without its powerhouse vocal. I mean, you can write it, you know, the lyrics as they're written, they're fine. They're great. If I try to sing them, it's not going to sound very good. Sammy Davis Jr. tried to sing them even in the late 70s, and his version didn't even sound very good. It's all about Jeanne Dubois, who was best known not as a singer, but as the co-star of Good Times. So she co-starred in Good Times, and then Norman Lear wanted to do another show. He does the Jeffersons, and he's like, hey, why don't you th- sing the theme song? And she freaking nails it. From all I could tell in researching Dubois, she really didn't have a singing career aside from this one song. But honestly, that's like batting a thousand. That's like the the only time you ever took a swing in a Major League Baseball game. You hit a freaking home run. And not only did you hit a home run, you hit the truck in the middle of center field and you won some fan a new pickup truck. But it wouldn't be me if I didn't have one issue with it. And perhaps my only issue is when Dubois stretches the word trying into four syllables. Took the whole lot of trying. When I was a kid and I used to watch this show on Nick at Night, I never could tell what she was saying right there because I'd never heard anyone stretch a word like that. Took the whole lot of trying. And I've still never heard anyone else pronounce trying as trying. trying. Jefferson's was a huge rating success, and like I said, it ran longer than the show from which it spun off, which is just incredible. Awesome show, awesome song. I love it. I love Sherman Hemsley's walk at the end of the song. Everything about Moving On Up kicks ass. I love it. It's this week's pick for the greatest TV show theme song of all time. We finally got a 
How to write a theme song in the 70s, man. 70s and 80s. They knew how to write those theme songs. Kind of wasn't in vogue anymore after that, but uh, this those great story songs. Songs that could stand alone on the radio. I mean, that's really something that you don't hear uh, so much anymore as far as a song written for a television show. All right, let me uh, check into some emails here that I got since our last episode. Uh, first off, one from my old buddy Larry. Haven't seen old Larry in a while, but uh, glad to know that you're listening to the show, man. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in. And Larry wrote me up, and he said, uh, Clint, it seems like you watch a lot of shows. Um, which ones do you most look forward to each week, and which ones do you not look forward to? So, Larry, you make it sound like this is like a job to me. And really, you know, it kind of is sometimes. I do feel like I need to stay up on more shows than I probably would if I weren't doing this show, just so I can tell you guys about as many of them as there are. But most of the time, if I'm watching a show, I mean, I'm not getting paid for this show, so uh, for this podcast. So I uh, I pretty much watch stuff that I want to watch, although I do have those chore watches. Uh, the ones that I really look forward to the most, How to Get Away with Murder is at the top of the list. That's the one I probably look forward to the most every week. I feel like every episode's got something that makes me uh, walk away from it, like, uh, you know, just excited for next week's episode. It always makes me look forward to something. It's just well-written, well at- The thing that I like about that show is that it's so well-acted. Uh, Beth always gives me crap for liking How to Get Away with Murder so much. She thinks it's too soapy, even though she's only watched like two episodes of it. So what the hell does she know anyways? But these are great characters. Everyone's All the actors that they picked really have done such a good job. And the women on it are all sexy. I mean, really, the men on it also are very good-looking guys. But um, it's just like a sexy cast of people. You know, the cases that they have are interesting, but the cases don't dominate it. It's not like a typical procedural. So I do like How to Get Away with Murder a lot. I always look forward to it. I really look forward to better things every Every week now also. It's such a quick watch, and I just like the characters so much. I talked about that show a lot last week. I really look forward to Better Call Saul when it's on. Again, love the characters. I think it's, uh, you know, maybe the best acted show on TV right now. I also uh, just I like to see where this is going because clearly we know where Saul Goodman we know where Jimmy McGill is going to end up as Saul Goodman, but um, the journey to getting there is what's making this so interesting. I look forward to Fargo every week when it's on the air. I, I can't wait for that to start up again. And Game of Thrones when it's on feels like the biggest event watch on TV because it is one that everyone talks about after it's aired. Uh, things happen that you just did not see coming, and you wonder where this storyline is going to go, especially now that they are off books. So uh, Game of Thrones is is you know required viewing every week, and I always do look forward to it as well. Especially, I mean, because the seasons are so short. I mean, like twelve episodes. It's just it's really short when you're getting that into a storyline. The one I look forward to least uh, every week is Modern Family. That's the one that I still feel like is a chore kind of to watch just because I feel like they've done everything they can possibly do at this point with that show. And the jokes most of the time, I'm just like, I I don't know. They're just not inspired, not very funny. So there you go. Those are my uh, picks for the ones I look most forward to and the ones I look forward to least, I guess. Thanks for writing in, Larry. And thank you especially for listening to the show. Um, let me get to another email from our buddy Glenn. Another really good email. He wrote about uh, the segment last week I did with uh, my wife, Beth. I invited her into the closet here. And you should have seen us in here. I mean, it was ridiculous how tight and how uh, sweaty it got in here. 
But uh, I guess uh, Glenn liked it. Hopefully you guys uh, liked that segment. I didn't hear any complaints, so I'm going to assume you did dig it. Uh, Glenn wrote in and said, I really enjoyed your discussion about horror films in the most recent podcast. He said he did agree with Beth, though. We were arguing in there about uh, our fa- our, the movies that scare us the most. Not necessarily our favorite scary movies, but the ones that scare us the most. And Beth picked The Exorcist. It's a classic. I picked uh, Blair Witch Project. I think it's a neo-classic. And uh, Glenn says he agrees with Beth. The Exorcist is far scarier than Blair Witch. Well, screw you, Glenn. What do you know anyways? Uh, he says he comes from a similarly religious background as Beth, and the movie terrified him uh, mo- mostly because of that. And he said he watched Blair Witch in college, and while I enjoy what it's going for, I really don't think it's that scary. And it's just atmosphere because nothing really happens until the end. But does anything happen? That's That was my point, man. That's what's so crazy about that movie. But anyways, I digress. Uh, He does say Exorcist is a bit too long. Special effects are goofy, but the implications are scarier than uh, the Blair Witch Project. Uh, He also went on to say that uh, as far as found footage movies go, he likes a movie called Troll Hunter a lot and called it the best uh, found footage movie of all time. I've never seen Troll Hunter. I heard good things about it. I believe that was a foreign film. Um, Didn't see it. Uh, we talked about record. I, I do like record a lot uh, as far as found footage movies go. That's probably actually my favorite. Also, was it a big fan of Cannibal Holocaust back in the day? That was the really creepy found footage one because people thought that the actors really did die because the gore was so realistic. Um, and, I mean, it just it all totally felt real, and that was kind of one of the first times that anyone tried to do that. Uh, so appreciate it. And uh, Glenn also says he likes Poltergeist and Alien more than Exorcist or Blair Witch. And I have to agree with you. I really I like Poltergeist a lot. Also, I love the special effects in that movie, and I do think that movie's creepy. That's like the only uh, that's the only haunted house movie that I really think like that really scares the shit out of me when I watch it. And Alien, I always go back and forth as to whether or not I consider it a horror movie, but really it is. I mean, it's a slasher film. It's set up the same exact way as any other slasher film is. Alien is just so much better made than like any other horror movie that's almost unfair to compare it i mean that movie is flawless there's nothing wrong with alien that's a five-star film all the way uh so thank you very much glenn appreciate you writing in uh and, and listening as well always good to hear from you my friend if you ever want to write me up it's the clint davis at gmail.com t-h-e clint davis at gmail.com do i say anything that gets you going that makes you mad um or uh, do you agree with me Love to hear your thoughts. So write me up and follow me on Twitter as well at Mr. Clint Davis. All right. Last week, I kind of gave a little abbreviated report card on some of the new fall TV shows that I've recommended and that I started watching. Uh, But I didn't talk about one that I've been watching for a couple years now and, uh, you know, have really been enjoying a little bit more this year. And that would be Gotham on Fox. It's Monday nights on Fox. Eight o'clock, I believe, is the time slot. If you've been watching Gotham, obviously you know what it is. If you haven't, it's uh, a show set in the world of Gotham City, obviously the DC uh, universe, Batman, the, the world of Batman. And this is like before Batman. So Bruce Wayne's a young kid in this. I think he's he's like around 15 or 16 years old in this show. So obviously it's well before he really you know becomes Batman and starts to kick ass all over Gotham City. The show is really about Jim Gordon. Uh, as uh, he's, he's not a commissioner yet, at this point he's not even a police officer anymore. He got he, he kind of uh, left the job uh, on less than amicable terms in the last season, and now he's kind of doing like a bounty hunting thing. But it's really all about Jim Gordon and kind of the villains that are in Gotham City, and them kind of making their first emergences uh, into the city. So uh, Gotham's a cool setup for a show. I talked about it when it you know first debuted here on this podcast, and then last season I was really down on it. Just didn't enjoy it. I thought it just 
became overly cheesy. I didn't really like Theo Gallivan was the big villain they had last season, and I thought he was just the worst, the absolute worst, just didn't intrigue me at all. I didn't find him scary. I feel like with season three, Gotham's back, man. I, I've actually been enjoying this season more than I did even the first season of the show. This is, uh, to me, the best that this show has been so far. Really, it, it treats itself as a procedural, but this season's been less like that and kind of more about story arcs. And the main villain this season is Mad Hatter. He's been genuinely menacing. He kind of controls people's minds, so he's a little bit like uh, Kilgore from Jessica Jones on Netflix. A little bit like that. Uh, not quite as menacing as Kilgore. I don't know if we'll ever see a villain that's quite that menacing uh, again on a TV show. I mean, he was just he was ruthless and really scary uh, because there were essentially no limits to his power. Um, but Mad Hatter's good. I mean, he can hypnotize people. He can make he, he's making people jump off buildings. You know, uh, throw themselves in front of cars. He's he's really wreaking havoc in Gotham City, and he even you know hypnotized Jim Gordon at one point. So he's been an interesting villain for sure. And the guy that's played him has done a nice job without being you know too over the top cheesy and cartoony, which has been a big problem with this show. I really enjoy Aaron Richards, who plays Barbara a lot. She's uh, she's you know Commissioner Gordon's former girlfriend, fiance, who just kind of snapped and went nuts uh, at some point in the show and has not come back from that ledge. And I just think Aaron Richards is so fun to watch. She's so awesome. She's, I mean, she's very easy to look at, obviously, but she's uh, really good at what she's doing. And she plays that, you know, crazy ass card better than uh, probably anyone else on TV right now. Uh, Captain Barnes, who's played by Michael Chiklis, is finally becoming an interesting character and possibly turning into a villain. I don't know if he's going to be Bane or what he's going to be, uh, but Barnes is, is finally coming into his own. He's, he's kind of just been like a wooden robot uh, up to this point, but glad to see Michael Chiklis finally getting to sink his teeth into something good because I knew when they brought him onto the show, I'm like, he can't just be here to play this robotic, by-the-books police captain. I mean, you don't bring Michael Chiklis on for him to not lose his shit at some point and throw somebody through a wall. That's what Chiklis is all about. That's what he's best at. So finally glad to see him showing some teeth a little bit on this show. Uh, Also, we've got a Bruce Wayne doppelganger on the loose. I don't know if this is going to be Hush or what, but uh, the storyline doesn't make a whole lot of sense with the Hush storyline if you're a Batman nerd, but that's another intriguing storyline that they've they've kind of just left in the background through this season. But the most risky thing that DC has allowed Fox to do with this show this season is a romantic storyline budding between Riddler and Penguin. Yes, they're both men on this show. So, yes, we've got a potential gay relationship budding between two of the great villains in Batman history, Penguin and Riddler. And that sounds like you would think it's totally forced and stupid, but the way they've played it has been so smooth and has really fit with especially the character of the Penguin. Um, And, you know, the way they're setting it up now, it's kind of making it seem like it's going to just lead even more to Penguin's mental demise because Penguin has really been an interesting character on this show. Uh, But, yeah, Riddler and Penguin have, like, a little budding romance going, and I'm rooting for them. I want them to get together, uh, but I don't know if it's going to end up happening. But I I applaud DC for letting, you know, for letting them do this because I could not imagine Marvel – you know, and Disney signing on to like, I don't know, let's make Iron Man and Captain America gay with each other, even though that it could be an interesting storyline. I don't think it would work in their case, but just saying, I don't think Marvel and Disney would let anything like that happen. So for DC to even entertain this idea, show some balls, I think, and it shows some uh, uh, willingness to experiment a little bit with these characters. So Gotham, I feel like is as mo- as interesting as it's been during its, you know, 
two and a half season run so far, and I'm actually looking forward to watching it again. So it's Monday nights on Fox, uh, and that is Gotham. As you, uh, if you remember last year, I was talking about that show as one of those like Modern Family that I used to not really look forward to watching anymore. But I'm glad that it's back to uh, to being quality TV again. I feel like uh, first couple seasons of Gotham, by the way, are on Netflix. If you want to watch them, like I said, first season's good. Second season, not so much. Kind of lost its way for me there. Barbara again was the best part of season two. She was pretty much the only person keeping me hanging in there. Um, all right, I'm going to go ahead and take a break. Toss things over to Andy Sedlak, Puff My Stogie, and I'll be back in a little bit to talk about movie presidents, the best and the worst. Who would you vote for, and who gets my vote as the best movie president of all time? That's all coming up in just a bit here on the Stream Police. Take it away, Mr. Sedlak. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Let me tell you what people my age are very, very good at. We're very good at mythologizing ourselves. We're so good at at creating the myth and the legend behind our being. We share everything with the utmost importance. I was listening to Lady Gaga's interview with uh, Howard Stern, and music aside, Lady Gaga is very good at this. So good at creating her own uh, Behind the Music episode, perpetuating her own legend. Frankly, uh, it's a little much. But uh, yes, hey, look, I am... I am Andy Sedlak, music editor at OverdueReview.com. I just posted a uh, a piece about Casey Musgraves. Uh, be sure to check that out. Anyway, look, it's Halloween. It's Halloween. You want to hear the scariest song ever recorded? I'm not fucking around. This is the scariest song ever recorded. Here we go. Pushed the wrong button. That wasn't it. Here we go. I found it. This night you are mistaken I'm a farmer in the city Dark farmhouses against the sky. Have 
called Farmer in the City by Scott Walker. Came out in 1995 and it's about the uh the final thoughts of a dying man. Supposedly based on an Italian film from the 70s. Oh, and by the way, the man was dying because he was murdered. Can't go by a man from Rio. Go by a Gives me chills. Aside from those creepy strings, he's also using uh, an oboe on the track and this some kind of weird instrument it's kind of like a lute I had to look it up it's like a lute it's like a stringed in- instrument that you pluck uh so all of these things kind of create that that weird atmospheric tone go by his i guess and i used to be a citizen the scariest thing of all Scott Walker is from Hamilton, Ohio. Nothing of the threshold, Take me with you. Okay, so hey, are you ready for this election to be over? Not everybody is. Here's a list of musicians who are backing Donald Trump. Are you ready for this? Aaron Carter. Azalea Banks, Ted Nugent, Loretta Lynn, Kid Rock, Wayne Newton. Other artists have spoken out and will not be voting for Mr. Trump. That list includes, and I got to take a deep breath here, Madonna, Wyclef, Shakira, R.E.M., Neil Young, Cher, David Crosby, Bono, Def Leppard, Bruce Springsteen, Miley Cyrus, Corey Taylor, Young Jeezy, Moby, Morrissey, Ricky Martin, Ricky Martin. Katy Perry. Oh, yeah. Demi Lovato and Billy Joe Armstrong of Green Day. Whew. Did I miss anyone? Who would headline the anti-Trump show? Some big names there. Springsteen? You too? Katy Perry? Madonna? Madonna's last tour grossed like $90 billion. Neil Young is in there? Who's the headliner there? Who's the biggest name? Compare that. To the pro-Trump folks. Kid Rock would most certainly be the headliner there. I guess Wayne Newton may give him a little competition, but just a little. Look, music's a powerful thing. The almighty question is whether music can change the world. I have an answer to that. Not directly. Not directly. But music has the power to influence and shape your experience in the world. It can educate you, provide you with a, a worldliness. So over time, if people are exposed to various viewpoints that they adopt for themselves, then music and art can indirectly affect the way people vote. 
or protest, speak out against, or the way that they speak with friends, family, on and on it goes. These people do have an influence. Of course they do. Especially over those who already identify with their art. And in some cases, like like with U2, their worldview is part of their art. To accept U2 is to accept their worldview. Endorsing or denouncing a candidate is, is risky business. Because now politics are indirectly tied to your art. And art can indirectly change the world. My two cents. Let me hear a jam. It's a song by Mick Jagger, Solo. It's called Lonely at the Top. It's from his first solo record, which recently turned 30 years old. Called She's the Boss. Yes, even Mick Jagger's solo cuts are now in their 30s. The record was co-produced by Nile Rodgers, who produced about every other hit song in the 1980s. It's worth checking out. It's kind of still got that Stone's blueprint, but with more shades of pop. 30 years old. Nile Rodgers is now 64. Jagger is 63. Here are five songs to add to your Stream Police playlist. We are building the most perfect playlist known to man. The first song is one that Nile Rodgers co-wrote, which a lot of people don't know. It's called Get Lucky by Daft Punk and Pharrell. Tribe Called Quest will be coming out with a new album. It's dropping soon, November 11th. As of now, it, uh, no title has been released, but it'll be their first album since 1998. They'll be on Saturday Night Live the very next night on November 12th. This, of course, will be their first album without Five Dog. Uh, but in honor of, of all of this, I'll recommend Electric Relaxation. I like them brown, yellow, Puerto Rican, and Haitian. Mm. Name is Fight Dog from the Zulu Nation. Told you in the jam that we could get down. Now let's knock the boots like the group H-Town. You got BBD all on your bedroom wall. But I'm above the rim and this is how I bore. A gritty little something on the New York street. This is how I represent over this here beat. Talking about you. Yo, I took you out. But sex was on my mind, pulled the whole damn route. My mind was in a frenzy. In a horny state, but I couldn't drop dimes because you couldn't relate. You couldn't relate. We're gonna stick with hip hop, uh, old school hip hop. The next song is by Sir Mix a Lot. No, not that one. This came two years before Baby Got Back. It's my hoopty. Four door nightmare, truck lock stuck, big dice on the mirror, grill like a truck. Lift 
Doctors ticking, accelerator sticking, something on my left front wheel keeps clicking. Picked up the girly, now we're eight deep. Cars barely moving, but now we got heat. Made a left turn as I watched in fright. My ex-girlfriend shot out my headlight. She was standing in the road, so I smashed her toes. Smashed my pedal, boom, down she goes. Boy, I ain't lying. Long hair's flying. We flip the skis off, dumb girl starts crying. Our fourth selection. More old school hip hop. This is the first single from Slick Rick's debut album, which was called The Great Adventures of Slick Rick, 1988. You know it? It's called Teenage Love. Hey, Sport, here's a thought from the old school crew. A serious situation we all go through. It deals with your feelings, so hear what I say. It's like a day when nothing seems to go your way. Past this, two people, they really like each other. He says there's no one else and she claims there is no other. The feelings are same and you receive a notion to reveal your inner thoughts and deeply hidden emotions. Bomb Squad uh, produced that track. That's one reason why it uh, why it sounds so good. And finally, for our last selection, I'm I'm switching gears. It's need a little time off for bad behavior. David Allen Coe. Well, I'm up and gone at the break of dawn. I've been working like a regular dog to keep my woman in the lights and the water and the phone turned on. I've been saying yes, sir. I've been saying yes, ma'am, at home. I've been storing up the cuss words, keeping them under my tongue. I need a little time off for bad behavior. The devil in me done been asleep too long. I need a little time, time off for bad behavior. It looks like I've been too good for too long. That's it. Talk to you soon. Peace. Thanks again, Andy. Appreciate it, as always. Once again, I'm Clint Davis, movies and TV editor at OverdueReview.com, sitting in my closet in Cincinnati, Ohio, and chatting with you here about movies and TV. It's a great life, right? I mean, that's a great setup to my life. I sit in a closet, I talk about movies and TV with people that I hope are out there. Uh, if you are out there and you want to let us know, you can always uh, follow us on Twitter at overdue underscore review. You can email me as well at dclintdavis at gmail.com. Let's get political for a second. Of course, when I say that, don't worry, I'm not going to talk about Donald Trump. I'm not going to talk about Hillary Clinton. I don't want to talk about the TV event that was uh, the three debates that they had. And uh, I I just I'm not even going to get into any of that shit uh, because in my day job, I deal with it enough. So I want to talk about some of the great and not so great presidents of movie history, fictional presidents of these United States. And honestly, I feel like Really, any of these candidates, even the worst ones, could have possibly made a run at the White House this year if they had been uh, there during primary season. I mean, seriously, looking at some of the folks who got votes out of there, I'm just I'm thinking some of these guys probably would have had a chance. So how do you like your movie presidents? We've seen them all in all colors, really. We've seen them in all sexes. We've seen them in all personality types. 
Uh, we've seen lunatics. We've seen cool and steady. We've seen uh, just we've seen a, a wide breadth. It seems like writers have had fun inventing the presidents that they would like to see, or the presidents that they're scared to death to possibly see in the Oval Office. Um, and you can take your pick as to which ones are which as we go down a list here. Now, I'm specifically going to be talking about movie presidents, not TV show presidents. So I'm not going to talk about Veep, even though I think Selena uh, Meyer would be, well, uh, probably one of the worst presidents of all time. Maybe the worst president ever, really, if she were real. I'm not going to be talking about President Bartlett from the West Wing. I'm not going to be talking about... I'm not going to be talking about Dennis Haysbert from 24. So none of that is on the table. I'm talking movie presidents right here. So sorry to say that, but I got to keep this list down. All right. So like I said, we've seen them kind of in all personality makeups. Let's start with Absolute Power, the Clint Eastwood movie where Gene Hackman played the president and his president was sleazy and depraved. So if you like your president sleazy and depraved, Gene Hackman would be your guy. Also, cutthroat, I would say, is a word for him. We see the president, played by Gene Hackman in absolute power, murder a woman who was his sex partner in the first 20 minutes of the film and then spends the next 90 minutes of the film trying to cover up him the fact that he murdered this woman. So he's just he's an awful human being, really, from top to bottom, as slimy and sleazy as you can get in the White House. That would be Gene Hackman in absolute power. There is... Uh... One other thing that we need to take care of is a daughter, doesn't he? You sure you want to do that, sir? Maybe she knows what he knows. Let's get cracking, boys. Show that you love your country. How about if you like your president's loud-mouthed and flashy? Who does that sound like? I would point you toward... Terry Crews in the movie Idiocracy. His president, who had the greatest name of all fictional presidents, President Dwayne Elizondo Mountain Dew Herbert Camacho, rode a chopper and wrapped himself in an American flag cape. And when President Camacho delivered his State of the Union address with an AK-47 stuck right underneath his, uh, his podium to pull out in case the crowd got too loud, who wasn't inspired by his speech? I know she's bad right now. With all that starving bullshit and the dust storms and we running out of french fries and burrito coverings. Yeah. But I got a solution. That's what you said last time, dipshit. I got a solution. You're a dick. South Carolina, what's up? All right, so that's one extreme. What if you like your presidents to be more diplomatic and open-minded? They want to reach across the aisle. They even want to reach across the universe. That would be Jack Nicholson in the movie Mars Attacks. He was almost too diplomatic and open-minded. When Earth was attacked by big-headed Martians in that movie, his president tries to appeal to their hearts in a Rodney King-esque speech. Think of the things that we could do. Think how strong we would be. Earth! And Mars. Together. There is nothing that we could not accomplish. Of course, it didn't work out so well because he was killed by those Martians right after he gave that speech. Although he did make one of them cry. But then they killed him, so the Martians went in that case. What about fearless and motivational? Is that your type of leader? 
Bill Pullman in Independence Day. Pullman's president takes another route in dealing with aliens. Instead of trying to be diplomatic and reaching across the universe to work with these folks, he straps himself into a fighter jet and takes them on himself. He also rallies the entire nation, and really the entire world, with an epic speech to end all speeches that is in no way over the top. We're fighting for our right to live, to exist. And should we win the day, the 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday. But as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night, we will not vanish without a fight, we're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. And that speech has to go down as really the most iconic, uh, like the most iconic speech ever given by a fake president, I would say, in any movie. How about a no excuses type president? Harrison Ford in Air Force One. When the president's jet gets taken hostage by terrorists, he doesn't whine and call the military or try to cut a deal with them. He comes up with a pretty good plan to kick their asses off his plane. Get off my plane. But honestly, the president from movie history that I would probably cast my vote for, most likely, would be the president that I feel like was the most soft-spoken and likable fake president in American history. Michael Douglas in 1995's The American President. Probably my favorite president in any movie I've ever seen. And of course, the great Aaron Sorkin wrote the film, and this was kind of like a precursor to The West Wing, which would come out four years later. So President Andrew Shepard, played by Michael Douglas, his wife has passed away from cancer just a few years ago, and he's trying to get reelected. This president is thoughtful, well-spoken, knows how to play the game as well. He's not a perfect guy. Plus, he has a great staff, and he's not hopping into fighter jets to, like, blow other countries out of the water. He doesn't need to do that kind of shit. He may be a bit boring compared to some of the other ones on this list, but I would honestly cast a vote for President Shepard if he were running. Even if his last name isn't subtle in the least bit, he's still my favorite president in movie history. We have serious problems to solve, and we need serious people to solve them. And whatever your particular problem is, I promise you, Bob Rumson is not the least bit interested in solving it. He is interested in two things, and two things only, making you afraid of it and telling you who's to blame for it. That, ladies and gentlemen, is how you win elections. You gather a group of middle-aged, middle-class, middle-income voters who remember with longing an easier time, and you talk to them about family and American values and character. And you wave an old photo of the president's girlfriend, and you scream about patriotism. You tell them she's to blame for their lot in life. And you go on television, and you call her a whore. So who would get your vote as the best president, the best fake president in film history? If you want to go TV, throw it at me as well. But who would get your vote? Who would you like to have in the Oval Office? 
as far as a fake president goes. I would have to say President Jack Ryan from the Tom Clancy books is probably actually the best fictional president ever if we're talking about like just fictional, you know, period. But we've never seen him be president in a movie. He never Jack Ryan was never president in any of the Jack Ryan movies. So I have to cut him off my list. But he's probably on it. If they ever make the Jack Ryan president movie, I think he'll jump right to the top of the list, so long as they don't dumb it down a bunch anyways. And we're going to stay all American here. I've been talking about the presidency. Now i got to talk about America's pastime real quick as I leave you with a couple streaming movies on Netflix and Amazon that you may not have seen. World Series, we're in the throes of it right now. Either way, one fan base's misery is going to end this year. So I figured I'd throw two baseball films that you may not have seen that right now are streaming on Netflix and Amazon as I lead you uh, out the door here on the stream police. First off on Netflix. Now, Netflix does have Major League right now on it, which is especially appropriate since the Indians are in the World Series, and it's just a great freaking movie. But I'm going to assume you've already seen Major League, so I'm going to give you one you haven't seen, maybe, which is Jordan Rides the Bus. This was an ESPN 30 for 30. I've talked about 30 for 30s before on the show. I'm a huge fan of them, have been since day one. Uh, They're just great films, very well done. And this is one of the short ones, just uh, under an hour, so it doesn't take you very much time to get through. And what it's about is about Michael Jordan, and when he famously retired from basketball, really still at the peak of his powers and decided he wanted to play baseball because it was something his dad wanted him to do. He wanted to do it. And he, of course, wasn't very good at it, never made it to the majors. He played in the White Sox uh, organization. So Jordan Rides the Bus is really about his time playing baseball. They talked to some of the, you know, the managers and um, the, uh, the coaches and also the other players who played with him, which was just such a surreal thing, right? I mean, minor league baseball players are like the ultimate blue-collar professional athletes. They're just trying to put their heads down, just get some hits, up their average, and make it up to the show. Uh, and and may, they're not making any money at this time, and they're you know living, sleeping in uh, you know wherever anyone will house them. So it's it's kind of a cool story to you know see these guys riding the bus with the most powerful and popular athlete on the planet, uh, who's also on their minor league club. So Jordan Rides the Bus right now is on Netflix. Fascinating documentary if you want to know more about that. And on Amazon, one that you may not have seen, 1988's Eight Men Out, which was uh, a drama about the 1919 Chicago White Sox, also known as the Chicago Black Sox, who uh, threw the World Series against the Cincinnati Reds in 1919. uh, And eight players were banned for life from baseball because of their involvement in it. The movie stars John Cusack, Charlie Sheen, David Strathairn, Gordon Clapp. It's got a really, really good cast. Um, And this, you know, it's got all the classic. Black Sox characters, including Shoeless Joe Jackson, who's really portrayed as like kind of a dumbass in this movie. Uh, but Buck Weaver, who's who John Cusack plays, he's the real tragic figure in this movie and the guy who your heart just goes out to. And he was a baseball figure I didn't know much about until I watched this film. So Eight Men Out, fascinating uh, story, uh, great movie, true story. And uh, it's just a well-done film, well-done drama uh, that is, uh, you know, not in any way, you know, ham-fisted or anything like that. I, I really enjoy that one. So Eight Men Out now is on Amazon. And Jordan Rides the Bus is now on Netflix. All right, that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Stream Police Podcast. Uh, please check out the website, overduereview.com, if you want to see some uh, long form movie reviews and TV reviews and record reviews that Andy and I have written over the years. I'm Clint Davis, movies and TV editor at Overdue Review, and I want to thank again Andy, our music editor as well, for chipping in here on the show, as always. Appreciate you listening in, my friend. I'll talk to you next time. Until then, stream on. Thank you.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer after for years to come try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee plus get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com code buttery exclusions apply see site for details